It's that time of week, the time you've been waiting for. It's time for Goat Gab, a weekly podcast about all things in the dairy goat industry. Sit back and enjoy an hour or so with your hosts, Laura Warren Hughes and Cameron Jedlowski, as we talk about ideas and topics that matter to the dairy goat world. Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting episode of Goat Gab. This week, um, I am flying solo. I'm Cameron here on the podcast. However, I've invited a very special co-host to come on. And don't worry, she is not the senator. She is the daughter of Laura, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good today here. We have a very exciting topic and a very exciting guest as well here today. I'm pleased to introduce Priya Tuvel to the podcast today. Priya, tell us a little bit about yourself and your herd of goats and your experience with goats. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Cameron. I really appreciate um, being on the show today. And uh, I'm excited to share uh, today's topic with you guys. But a little bit about our farm is uh, I raise a herd of Nigerian dwarf dairy goats. And uh, we are an Adga Plus herd. Uh, We are a newer herd. Um, This is our fourth kidding season now. Um, But we have been Adga Plus since our first kidding season. So from the very beginning, um, that's been really important to us. Uh, We're located here in Northern California um, just got hit by all those big storms. I know a lot of the country was feeling that, but um, we're drying off over here, which is kind of nice. And um, in addition to the dairy goats, we also work on heritage breed conservation. So we raise um, pigs and poultry and other things like that to keep us on our toes. So when so you're drying up now, when do you start kidding then? Uh, well, the mud is drying up right now. Oh. <laughs> but uh, we actually did uh, just finished our first round of kidding. Uh, so I had, I think, six does due. Um, I'm actually pregnant and due end of March. So we were trying to get most of the girls kitted out before that, um, just saving a, a couple of our are what I think are our top does for a little bit later kiddings in time for nationals since nationals on our side of the country this year. So yeah, it's wrapping up a little bit. Congratulations. How exciting. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, Well, um, a little bit, I guess, Priya, what else is going on on your farm? You've got kidding. How many babies do you have right now? Uh, right now we have 13, I believe. Um, and we started out strong with a lot of girls. And then my last few does gave me nothing but bucks, which is how it tends to work out. Right. But <laughs> yes, I'm doing good. And I'm actually probably going to be doing some disbudding um, after the show today too. So um, got that going on and um yeah, just getting the girls back on milk test, hopefully doing our first milk test um, in the next week or so for the season. Awesome. Awesome there. Anything else happening on your farm as well, maybe with the heritage breed stuff or just just, uh, knee-high and baby goats? Yeah, we have um, some of my American guinea hogs, which are a heritage breed of smaller pigs. Um, They're due to farrow any day now. Um, They're starting to bag up. So we should have some baby pigs running around. And that's always fun. Um, Baby pigs aren't really good at 
respecting fences. So we usually have a, a marauding group of baby pigs running around the farm, which is always a lot of fun <laughs> to watch their antics and things like that. And um, with the, the longer days now, um, we're hoping that chickens start laying soon. Uh, we've had a lot of people reach out with this egg shortage that's been going on, um, but also people looking to get their own chickens too. So that seems to be um, a big, big popular thing that's happening. So hoping our girls start laying again with these longer days. And uh, we do raise all of our animals naturally. So the chickens and the birds are on natural life cycles right now. Um, so they're not quite up to production laying like they are in the spring, but we're starting to get a few eggs trickle in. So I haven't been embarrassed by having to buy grocery store eggs in the last week or so. So at least that's something. <laughs> Elizabeth, what's the price of eggs there in, in uh, the bustling metropolis of Chillicothe, Missouri? Oh gosh, I honestly, I can't even tell you because <laughs> it's funny, Doug kind of buys all the eggs and then he'll get, you know, packs of about 18 and then I don't ever hear about it. But I think the last I heard is it's about $5 for a dozen here. So. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the egg shortage is real folks out there, but um, Priya, great hearing about your farm and what's happening at your place. Elizabeth, what is going on while Laura is away? Well, <laughs> you know, uh, it's kind of um, quiet over here. Um, we weren't planning, I think my mom has mentioned before, we weren't planning on starting kidding seed until about, you know, late February, early March. But, you know, we had a surprise actually back in December. So I am milking my one surprise sonin. Um, already, and she's really starting to um, get higher in the production now. She's really smart. She's figured out anytime you go to the pen, she knows to come down to the barn now every morning and every night, so that's kind of nice. Um, but mom decided to go to Florida on the coldest weekend that we've had here yet, so I get to have the joy of um, spreading the straw and basically giving new bedding for all the goats and preparing for babies to come, but hopefully get all that done before she gets back but it's just kind of been quiet and a little slow here lately how about you cameron well um we uh it's, it's snowing right now i'm looking outside and snow is like blowing and drifting it's wonderful um we decided to venture out of our house today though and get the rest of our kidding supplies that we needed so totes and heat lamps and making sure we have everything um, from a, a drug perspective we would need because we induce and going through everything there on that. So we, we've, we've, we've done that earlier today. We did who actually we did it. I, I did not. My wife did all the hooves on the, uh, on the big does. I won't take credit for any of that. Um, she always saves the Alpines for last because they're the worst. They, <laughs> And um, so we did that today as well here. We'll start kidding probably next week, probably after this podcast drops. Uh, we're expecting some temperature decreases. So I think some of these girls will go early. So we've, we've done some of that as well there. In addition to that, um, we bought some hay and picked up some hay. We had grain delivered. Just kind of coming back after our honeymoon and getting everything kind of back on track as we go right into baby season um, already. But I'm, I'm thankful we're starting out with four to kid and not going to have a big group like like six or ten there because um, hand milking four isn't that bad. Um, and I actually kind of enjoy it. I don't know, Elizabeth, you enjoying milking your one? 
I was just going to say it is, it's kind of nice. It's that nice, you know, first thing to do in the morning, kind of your Zen time is what my mom always says, but um, I don't know. There's always kind of that discussion I always have with my mom and sisters of, do we want everybody to kid at once or within one week and just get it all done? Or do we want to, you know, gradually spread it out? And it, it used to be that I'd take, you know, one or two weeks off of work and come home and, you know, call, we called it Kidapalooza, basically. And we just try to have everybody kid about the same time. But this year it is kind of spread out in a gradual build a little bit. So we'll see which which we like better. But I definitely agree when you're not milking 15 at a time, it's kind of nice and quick. Yeah. Priya, what about you? Do you do you find that Zen time as well while milking? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I agree. There's that balance of numbers, right? So, you know, if I'm hand milking, I think my my enjoyable boundary is around six does. Um, after I get after six does, it's like more of a chore. And I'm like, okay, when is this going to be done? <laughs> but um, <laughs> I do I do really like that one-on-one time. And um, this year, we actually bought a milk machine. Um, so we're going to be trying that out this season. Just, you know, with having uh, a baby, this is going to be our first having a newborn, just trying to make sure that I I try to troubleshoot (laughs) ahead of time. Um, So I'm hoping, you know, in case we need to go to the hospital for a few days when I'm in labor, then I feel like a milk machine will be a lot easier for my farm sitter, my neighbors to come over and help us out. So um, we'll see how that goes. But it does two goats at a time, um, which I'm very excited about. So we'll see how that helps with chores, especially as our our herd has been growing. Um, So it's going to be you know, it'll be cool to see how that works out. But I do, I do like the hand milking up until a point. <laughs> right. see, and about me, for me, it's six. I can hand milk six and I find yes. that very therapeutic. But anything about past six, if you get to eight, you get to 10, you get by golly, yep. you get those double digits. No, 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 no. It is the machine's coming out. <laughs> right. Well, I, longest time, you know, when we first got the milk machine, my mom was all about, you know, we always use the milk machine. I love the milk machine. And actually, it took me the longest time to actually appreciate it because I just wanted to get it milked and not have to wash anything, not have to worry about it. But I'm not going to lie. It's kind of a, it's a lot nicer to your hands for sure. And it just kind of goes a little bit quicker, smoother. And, but on the other hand, it's kind of like, well, now I have a milk machine. I can get 10 more goats, you know? <laughs> oh, God. um, mom was like we need to get you know more hay feeders for them or we need to get more feeders and it's like mom that's just feeding the beast here (laughs) when we're trying to keep numbers down we don't need to get more stuff we need to you know decrease (laughs) yes there um uh, elizabeth uh have you seen anything on the facebook about what's happening in the adgo world or anything or all things quiet on the western front or what are you seeing in facebook land for adga I'd say, you know, I haven't really seen a whole lot on Facebook, which is kind of a little bit of a change as far as Adga wise. But I will say, you know, talking with a few friends about convention, actually, it sounds to me like they have got a lot of really exciting, cool things planned for convention this year. Um, A lot of really neat keynote speakers and workshops. So I got to say, I'm pretty excited about that standpoint. 
Yeah, I, I would remind all our listeners that if they do want to do um, Agda Plus, if they want to sign up for LA, if they want to do DHIR, they do need to get that in January 31st. However, our episode is going to drop after that deadline. So hopefully everybody um, went ahead and signed up for all those things. But knowing that, it's a perfect segue into Priya and our topic here today, which is milk test. Our, our lovely expert, Priya, here. Are you excited for the topic today here, Priya? I am. Um, I know quite a few people know me from Facebook, and I post in a lot of the groups. And um, helping herds get started on milk testing is something I'm really passionate about. Um, and I've helped quite a few herds locally in our area get started as well. Um, when I was first new to dairy goats, um, I was very fortunate to have really a fantastic mentor um, that really helped me with all my questions. And, you know, you know, when I mean, it's probably been a while since some of our listeners have been new to goats, but when you are new, it's a lot to learn. Um, and there's a lot to learn online, but there's a lot of conflicting information, wrong information online. So um, I'm really excited to share some hopefully, you know, useful information for those that are getting started on milk test or thinking about milk test um, to try to make it a little less scary because sometimes the steps can seem really formal and really intimidating. And I hear that from a lot of people. So um, yeah, really looking forward to this conversation today, Cameron. Well, I will tell you that I had the hardest time um, understanding it all. And then I spent, I was out with my wife and we were coming back from a goat party, actually. And um, I know there are such things as goat parties. And um, uh, we, uh, she got a farm call, and I was sitting in the truck, and I was sc- like scrolling through Facebook, and I kept seeing your name, your name, your name, and I was like, "That's the person for the podcast." So I, so thank you for being active on there, and you answered actually a lot of my questions as well, just scrolling through those posts. So thank you for that. Oh, good. I'm glad that they're helpful. You know, that's what I'm hoping in trying to use keywords. So if people do a search or something like that, that they'll find some accurate, you know, in- information that might be able to help them. So I'm really glad. I'm glad to hear that it was helpful for you, too. Yes. Yeah, so let's go ahead and jump right into this. And Elizabeth, why don't we baseline as well here? What's your experience with milk test? So I'm going to be honest. I... I'm not necessarily new to the goats, but milk test is something that I am not as familiar with just because this is something that my mom really knew about. She kind of got it started and I was just kind of the person that it's like, okay, I'll milk the goats and dump the milk in the bucket and you take care of it the rest of the way. So um, I, I do personally think it's a fantastic program. I really think it's very useful for many different reasons, whether you're you know, just you have some goats for milk production, or sometimes even if you just want to have goats for certain breeding plans. Um, I do think the milk test program is just a really neat thing to have. And I personally am really interested in seeing what Priya has to say about it and all your knowledge. So I'm hoping to learn a lot about it to myself. Awesome. So what are, uh, starting right out here with milk tests here, what are the test plans here? Kind of what are our main three groups that people kind of affiliate their test plans with, Priya? Yeah, so there's tons of different test plans out there. Um, There's a few that are more popular than others. So um, probably the most popular that I see is owner sampler, 
which is OS 40. And um, that's where you don't need to have an additional tester come out every month. Uh, you do all of your own testing, um, but you do need to have a verification test when most of your herd's about 150 days in milk. Um, and that's a roundabout number. If some are less, some are more, that's okay. Um, that's one of the most popular ones. And this one kind of works a little bit differently. This is the only one that has like a requirement for tests and days. Um, if you want to qualify for that AR, that advanced registry star, you do need to have 240 days in milk and eight tests to qualify for an AR star. However, if you don't reach those numbers, you can still get a star. It's just going to be the standard star, the ST star. Um, so it just depends on what your goals are, what you're looking for. That's probably the most popular one that I see. Um, the other ones that are really popular are the, the standard plans, which is the standard 20 or the innovative test plan, the ITP02. Um, these are both pretty similar. Standard 20, you have a tester come out for, if you milk twice a day, you have a tester come out twice a day um, on test days. And for the ITP02, uh, you have the tester come out once a day on test days, and then you do the other test. And usually you alternate AM, PM. So if February your tester comes out in the AM, in March they'll come out in the PM, things like that. So the, the nice thing with the standard 20 is you only need the verification test if you want to qualify for top 10. Um, but the ITP02 does require the verification test. Um, so that's just an additional person that needs to come out. So um, sometimes people can find one tester, or but they can't find a second one for a VT. They don't really need the VT. Then standard 20 might work better for you. Um, just really depends on your preference and what you can find. Um, another one that I see, but it's not as common that I know of, um, is the group testing. And group testing is when you have three herds that work kind of together, and they all alternate testing each other's herds. So um, if you have a bunch of dairy goat friends in your near vicinity, that could be a good option for you as well. Elizabeth, wasn't your mom on a group test at one point with some dairy goat friends in your area? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I believe that the group testing is what we tried and um, we are very fortunate to have a few dairy goat friends that do live within probably a, I'd say a 30 minute tops radius from us. So um, my uncle being one of them, being um, active in Adga as well, it was really nice because I got to go and see their goats and see how their milk production is. And, you know, it's always nice to have goat friends come and visit and hang out for the time that they're here testing as well. So highly recommended. I really loved it. Uh, Priya, I want to circle back on a couple things here. So you talk about a verification test here. What is, so if, I, if I don't even know where to start a milk test, what the heck is a verification test? Okay, so that's a great question with the verification test. Um, so what a verification test is, is it's basically it's, you milk out like you normally do, but we count three tests or three milkings, more or less. Um, there's going to be your pre-milk, which is your milk out, and then your, your first milk and your second milking. And you need to have a tester at all three of those, but you also need to have a second tester than your normal tester. So you have, you know, my neighbor comes out and does most of my regular testing. And then um, my friend Alana down the road, she grabs, she comes over to do my verification test for me. So the way that it might work out is my regular tester comes out for my milk out. My verification tester comes out for my AM milking, and my regular tester is there again for my PM milking. So it's just an additional person coming out to see your test. Um, and then there's some additional paperwork, too. That's where um, tattoos are checked. If you're a Nigerian dwarf herd like I am, you'll do your height, 
test at that point too, your height verification. Uh, make sure all of your does are in height or if they're over height, you would do that at that time too. So um, it's an additional, I think it's like a two or three page document that you can get from the ADCA website. Um, and that's what the verification test is. It just requires an extra person, which sometimes can be a hard thing to find somebody else to do a test for you. Yeah, I know we have struggled in the past to find that extra verification test when I was milking with my dad. So I, I understand that as well there. You said, so there's three milkings on a verification test instead of two, correct? Yes, they can. Well, they, you do two official milkings, but you also do your pre-milk, your milk out. So that would be done like 12 hours before the day before the night before. Gotcha there. So I have a question on the timing situation. Like I remember when we would do milk out or milk tests, basically it would, you try to get it as close to 12 hours apart as possible, but herds that are larger, um, fortunately we were milking maybe 16. So say, you know, you milked one doe first in the morning, but then, you know, that evening you didn't milk her until towards the end. And there's like, I don't know, for us, it was tops, maybe a 20 to 30 minute difference. Um, but is that a very strict rule here that you want to be within a very certain amount of time between, if that makes sense? Yeah. So like you said, the standard is 12 hours apart, but that's not always possible. So um, if you can't do exactly 12 hours apart, that's okay. Um, on the verification form, you do write the order of the does, um, in the order that they get milked. And for the verification test, you do if you can stick to that, um, it's nice too. And I know um, when I was working in big commercial dairies, a lot of times the cows or the goats would come in relatively similar order into the parlor every time. Um, so if today she was fifth and yesterday she was 10th, that's probably not going to be that big of a time difference. But, um, you know, they're, they're going to take that into consideration if you write down the times of your tests. So um, I wouldn't say, you know, maybe we don't want to milk two hours apart, <laughs> but get, you know, close to a decent time frame, um, then, I, then it's usually okay. Usually it's not going to be an issue um, unless it's really close together milking, which um, I know some really big 10,000, 5,000 cow dairies, they stop milking AM and they start right up again for their PM milking, you know? So um, if you're that large, I'm not quite sure, <laughs> but, um, you know, as long as you can get it somewhat close, then you should be okay. They're, and they're really, they're really um, understanding about these kind of things. And if you have specific questions like that, reaching out to your DHIA um, is a great thing to do. Usually they're super helpful. Um, I know, especially with people getting started, it can be a little intimidating, but um, most of the DHIA, DHIAs that I've heard of have been really helpful and understanding, and it's their job to help herds get started. And the more herds that milk, the more job security they have, right? So um, it helps them with that too. <laughs> so that's a good question. What is so there's a lot there's there's a lot of letters a lot of acronyms here and the world loves ac acronyms. What is D I H A D H I A? What do they do and how is it different from D H I R? 
That is a great question. And a lot of times they're used interchangeably. Um, I tend to use them interchangeably sometimes too. But uh, what DHIA is, is Dairy Herd Improvement Association. And usually um, this is a lab. Um, it's not always a lab. We used to have Dairy West out here and they weren't a lab, but they were a DHIA. Um, but usually uh, DHIA is a lab that you send your milk samples to and they kind of... Um, process those samples and they have the databases or they help with sending the information to the databases to the processing centers. Um, DHIR is Dairy Herd Improvement Registry. Um, and like I said, a lot of times they're used interchangeably. It just kind of depends on the context. Usually a DHIA refers to the lab and DHIR refers to the data or, or something like that. Well, that makes sense there. Yeah, I, I've definitely used those words interchangeably, um, so I'm not always sure either. So thank you for that clarification. Um, I, I do want to circle back around, though, on this owner sampler um, item here. Um, if Elizabeth doesn't have any more questions kind of on this such. No, go ahead. Okay, so I want to circle back around owner sampler. And for those that sign up for owner sampler, it's just them, and they are responsible for um, making sure everything is correct. Correct there? The owners are? Yep. Yep, exactly. The owners, all of the testing, um, except for they do, they are required to have that verification test that we talked about. So at one point during the lactation for most of the herd, they will need to have another person come out for the verification test. But other than that, they do all of their own testing. They do their sampling, they fill out the paperwork, they send in their samples, um, and they do all of that. So this is really, it's really helpful for a lot of people um, when they can't find a tester in their area or somebody that can test for them, or if they're just busy and they don't want to work or handle dealing with scheduling another person, you know, that can be time consuming. So um, it's, it is a really good option, but it does put a lot of um, pressure on the owner to get everything right. Uh, my kind of follow-up question on owner sampler there is, so they are in charge of having all the equipment and the vials and working with the lab to send those in, correct? Whereas in standard tests, they're, they're going to have someone else do that, correct there? It depends. It depends. Um, in standard and ITPO2, uh, sometimes the owner sends in, sometimes the tester sends in. So it depends on what's going on and what your what your situation is with your tester. Um, with larger herds, then yes, um, especially commercial dairies and some of these um, these larger herds, a lot of times they'll their tester will do all of that. They'll take the samples and send it in and mail it and get all of that done. Um, but with smaller herds, like for me, my neighbor is my tester and um, she's not a goat person, but she comes out and she checks my samples and she collects my samples, but then I'm the one that ships them out. I'm the one that works with the lab um, and I get all of that done. So it depends on your situation with your tester. Um, some of the testers that are working directly with DHIAs, um, this might be more with commercial setups, um, but then they have people that, that that's their job. Their job is to do milk testing and then they will do all of that. They'll bring the vials and they'll, they'll handle all of that for you. Um, so with the smaller herds though, a lot of times the owner does do a lot of that interaction as well. Gotcha there. Well, I, I was curious because we are on, well, my dad was on ITPO2 and, and we are actually 
this year going to be on ITPO2 as well there for a, a plan there. But we have contracted through somebody to come out and do our testing as well. They're from one of those DHA, DHIAs. Ours is going to be Central Star um, or uh, Green County. Um, DHIA is actually the one, but they're through Central Star there um, here. And we have uh, an abundance of testers here, uh, fortunately, because we have cow dairies around. Um, but for all of those that aren't owners that don't have those options, Owner Sampler definitely sounds like a, a great option. Yeah, Owner Sampler is a great option. And even ITPO2 and Standard 20, if you don't live near DHIA, like I don't, my nearest DHIA is like six or seven hours south of me. And unfortunately, our last cow dairy just closed down in my area. Um, so we don't have that as an option to go through a DHIA for a tester. So that's why, you know, I use my neighbor and a lot of people are in those situation. So yeah, if you have a DHIA that'll handle all that stuff for you, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, but a lot of times it's up to the owners um, to do that coordinating and make sure all that stuff gets done. So for example, when you said that you have your neighbor did a lot of your testing to become a tester, what did she have to do to meet those qualifications for an odd kind of question? But did she have to herself? Did she have to do anything with ADGA or DHIA? Yeah, so becoming a, a certified tester is through DHIA. Um, ADGA just wants to know what their um, their certified number is, which you get assigned a number and a little ID card saying that you're certified and when your, your certification expires once you pass a test. Um, each DHIA is different. Some DHIAs require you to do an in-person test or in-person class or an online class kind of situation. Um, I use Central County's DHIA in Southern California. And uh, what they do is they send you a Word document or a PDF that has a whole bunch of information about um, different test plans and what the process is, what the standard operating procedures are. Um, and then after you read through that, you have to take an online test. So that's what my neighbor had to do. So um, I paid for it for her because she was doing me a favor. Um, I think it was about $50 or something like that. Um, and then renew is usually to renew is a lot cheaper. Um, our DHIA does every two years we have to renew. Um, so she reached out to the DHIA. She read through the documents um, and then she had to pass that test. I believe it's with an 80% or higher. Um, so you do have to know your stuff in order to become certified. Um, but she was able to go through and do all of that and become certified to help us out. Awesome. Yeah. So if I'm just getting started in, in, in milk test here, what type of equipment do I need to invest in in order to um, be be set up and ready to go, if, whether a tester's coming out or I'm doing order sampling? Yeah, so it's, it's minimal. It's very minimal, especially if you're already milking. Um, I milk in a pail and then I pour into mason jars and a strainer, and that's how I milk. Um, but if you milk into a machine, you could just change out, like I have a simple pulse, so it milks into these glass jars. So you could change out the glass jars um, at per goat and do it that way too. Um, but really the only additional thing you need in addition to your milking equipment is a scale. That's it. <laughs> um, so I use a hanging scale. So I hang my milk pails from this hanging scale. Um, and it was just 10 bucks on Amazon, super cheap. Um, some people use similar to like a flat kitchen weighing scale, and they just put their bucket or their jar on top of that. Um, you just want to make sure that you account for the weight of the pail. So when I'm milking, um, my I know that my milk pail weighs 0.48 pounds. That's how much it weighs. Um, and so I subtract that from my milk weight so that I can get an accurate milk only weight. Um, but the scale is really the only additional 
equipment that you need. Um, I mix my sample because when you're milking, you know, it doesn't come out evenly, right? You get more butterfat in the beginning or more butterfat at the end. Um, so you want to make sure you milk up that sample or you mix up that sample really well, either by using a ladle or I just pour mine from one milk pail into another um, and mix it up that way and then pour some into a little vial. And the vials are provided by your lab, so you don't have to provide those. Um, so you pour some into these vials that I pre-label them. So each one has my dose ID number on it. Um, so I pre-label those so they're ready to go, pour some milk in a vial and ship it off. So I guess uh, maybe boxes or ice packs for shipping out the samples, the scale for weighing the samples, and then you get the tubes from the lab. So um, equipment wise, it's pretty minimal. Um, large dairies, large herds, um, sometimes they'll use something called an inline meter. And what that is, it's a meter that plugs into your milk line and it takes a, a sample and kind of weighs the milk that way with the inline meter. So usually that's only used with the larger herds on milk machines, um, but the inline meters are another possibility as well. Awesome there. Yeah, I was I was just going to ask about, have you seen, Priya, have you ever seen the inline milk meters there? I have, yeah. I've worked in and interned at um, quite a few large dairies. I used to manage uh, large organic dairies in the Central Valley um, here in California as well. Cow dairies, not goat, but um, I've seen them in use in cow dairies. Um, I've also um, seen them for use at a, a, lar or a, a good sized um, commercial goat dairy as well during milk testing. So they are there. They're very nice to use when you have larger herds or if you only use milk machines. Um, for the small herds, they can be expensive because if you don't have a DHIA around you like us, you would need to buy your own and they can be expensive. Um, I've also heard some people say that they're not as accurate with the smaller breeds like the Nigerians. Um, they're meant more for volume. I don't know how true that statement is or not, but it's not something that I would want to risk personally having a Nigerian herd. Um, but the milk meters are really cool. Um, and you can take your sample directly from the meter. So it works out really well that way. That's cool. You know, I'm Mom was literally just talking about one of those the other day that she could she found some on Amazon or something. And I was like, oh, that's a new new thing that I could do for birthday or Christmas. No, yeah, and the thing with scales or the meters is they do have to get calibrated by the DHIA annually. So usually when I send my last milk sample, um, I also send in my scales to get recertified. So um, that is something that you would have to do. Whether you have meters or a scale, they do need to get certified by your DHIA at least annually. And and how do we do we just call our DHIAs and say, hey, I need my thing, I need my, my, my thing, my scale or my meter calibrated and you just send it in and they do that there? Yep, that's exactly right. And with um, now that I know the cost for my DHIA, I just send my scale with the check and they know what the purpose is and they just get it done and then they mail it back to you once it's all certified. Awesome. Awesome there on that. I want to circle back around to um, the standard plan there on that. So there's kind of two. There's the ITPs and then there's the standard 20 there on that. Is there any other difference between owner sampler and that there? Um is there anything that makes it a little bit more legit or a little bit more, um, I guess, rigid there when it turns to integrity of the milk records compared to an owner sampler or? So, you know, with all milk testing, honesty is key, right? If, if you want to cheat, you can. 
Um, but that's not why we do this, right? We do this as breeders, as dairy goat owners, because we want that data. We want to know how our herd is doing, you know? So arbitrarily changing numbers to try to get that little bit of an advantage doesn't do anybody any favors and definitely doesn't do the breed a favor. Um, so, you know, there is that, but, you know, when you're doing these tests, the, the owner sampler does require the verification test. So that is another person coming in to check to make sure things are going okay, you know, um, and the the difference between, I guess the one big difference is the awards that they could qualify for. Um, so OS40, you can qualify for all awards except for top 10. You cannot qualify for top 10 on OS40, but you can on ITP02 and on standard 20, you can qualify for those awards. Um, there are other requirements such as um, a DCR score, and a DCR score is um, kind of an act data accuracy measurement that the CBCD uh, uses, and that's the data processing center. Um, CBCD, CDCB, I always get the D and the B confused there, <laughs> but um, it's basically the they're the big cattle registry that handles milk records. They also handle all the dairy goat records too. So um, the DCR kind of is our data accuracy measurement that tells us, according to algorithms and very fancy calculations that they have on their end, um, how consistent and how accurate the data is. So if you have a high DCR, that means your data is accurate and consistent with what the expectations are. If your DCR is low, then there could be some questions going on with your milk test, or it could just mean that you're not milking consistently, you haven't done your verification test yet, things like that as well. So that DCR kind of helps us figure out the accuracy of the milk records, and those are publicly available on their website as well. I want to continue on acronym land here. So maybe maybe I do my first milk test. I get my sheet back. It's got all my goats on it. What I, I guess looking down, what do some of the acronyms mean and, and why are they kind of important there as you look at a DHIR sheet? Yeah, there's a bunch of acronyms. <laughs> so many acronyms, all of the acronyms. <laughs> um, so uh, kind of, you know, working through a sheet on my sheet, everyone's, um, depending on the lab that you use or the processing center that you use, your uh, report is going to look a little bit different, but most of them have more or less the same information on them. So um, somatic cell count, SCC, um, sometimes it's written as somatic cell score, um, which would be SCS. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the somatic cell score because I learned for somatic cell counts. And so that's the number and the reference that I have in my head. Um, so I have to use a table to convert my somatic cell score to a somatic cell count. But um, <laughs> the somatic cell is basically telling you um, what how healthy your milk is and how healthy your goat is. So it's how many of the goat's own cells are in the milk. Um, and the lower that number, the healthier the goat, the healthier the milk, the longer lasting the milk is going to be, um, especially for dairy products and things like that. Um, making cheese can be kind of volatile. Um, and so if you have really low somatic cell count number, your cheese making is going to be more accurate as well. Um, a high somatic cell can be indicative of mastitis, inflammation. Um, it can also be indicative of maybe dirty or muddy pens, things like that. Um, and every herd kind of is going to have a different normal range, right? 
my personal goal is to keep my herd at about 100 or it's actually 100,000. Um, 100,000 somatic cell count or less is my goal. Um, I start getting concerned about mastitis if my numbers start hopping up, creeping up above 500,000, 700,000, close to a million. Um, then I'm concerned about mastitis and I might send out a culture to see what's going on. Um, so that's the somatic cell count there, SCC or SCS for somatic cell score. You'll also see something that says ME, which stands for mature equivalent. Um, and this is a number that a lot of people reference and look at. Um, sometimes think people think that the mature equivalent is how much milk is actually being produced, but that's not the case. Um, what a mature equivalent is, is it's a projection. So if the goat that you're milking was a mature dairy animal in their fourth lactation, this is what her projected milk production would be. Um, this is what her projected milk, protein, butterfat projections would be. Um, so these are, you know, potential numbers. If your goat is not a mature dairy goat, if you have a first freshener or a second freshener, um, these numbers especially are going to be changing a lot throughout the lactation. As you get closer to a 305, those numbers should start meeting up more accurately, um, but they're going to be a little bit different and they're going to change a lot. Um, the ME numbers are what's used when you're looking at the average standard um, milk protein butterfat in a production evaluation on ADGA genetics. The mature equivalent numbers are what they use for that. So when you're looking at that, you know, it might say on the production eval that her average milk, um, her average standard milk was 1,200 pounds. But then you pull up her actual record and you see that she only milked 900 pounds, you know, and that's because it's the mature equivalent. If that animal was a mature dairy animal, she had the potential to milk that 1,200 pounds, but she actually milked that 900 pounds. So um, it's important to look at that. And that's why I like looking at the actual records in the, the CBCD website, which is also linked on ADGA Genetics to see, okay, what did they actually milk? What did they actually do? How much were they actually milking per lactation, per milk test, things like that? Well, you answered one of my questions already and because I, I always got confused on the ME actual versus the kind of the ME, the adjusted value there. So that's awesome. My question for you, my next question for you though is, is how many accounts do you have on the CDCB and how many times do you have to reset your password? <laughs> well, luckily I only have one <laughs> and um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty bad about it, but I don't know how to actually navigate the CBCD website. So what I usually do is I click on the CBCD link on Adga Genetics, log in, then exit out, go back, click on it again, and then it pulls up the Doe's record for me. <laughs> so I don't have to actually navigate through the website. <laughs> but other than that, you know, luckily, we've it's been pretty okay. <laughs> I've reset my password so many times on that website. It's not even funny. <laughs> oh, I do have a question jumping back to the somatic, somatic cell count, because that fascinates me. Um, you, you say that you have a specific standard that you want to keep at a certain level below just for your own standards. Does that vary based on breed itself as well? Like, you know, larger breeds can handle, you know, you'd expect to maybe have a higher adjustment for the larger breeds of having a higher somatic cell count. Not necessarily. Um, there can be a genetic component. Some goats are just genetically have a higher somatic cell count than others. Um, there could be management components. You know, my goats are dry lotted. Um, they don't have mud. They have a bedded down barn, you know, so that can 
because they don't have mud, they're going to have less somatic cell, but then I have to make sure that they have clean bedding because um, if it gets gross in there, then that can increase their somatic cell as well, you know, especially right after milking, um, which is why we feed right after milking um, because I want my girls standing up until those teat orifices have time to close. Um, so not necessarily breed differences. Um, I also work with dairy cows that could have around the similar range that what I'm looking for in the hundred or less than a hundred somatic cell count range too. So I think it has more to do with genetics and management than necessarily breeds itself. Um, but I'm not as familiar with a lot of the standard breeds, so it, there could be something going on there. Um, but usually it's going to be management or it's going to be genetics. I do have a question as well. So you've alluded to a little bit of some of these programs have rewards if you do good there, uh, if, if you meet certain thresholds there. What is the difference between an ST star versus an AR star? That is a great question and one that comes up very frequently. Um, so an ST versus an AR, the only thing that it's telling you is how the star was earned. That's it. Um, some people think, oh, an AR star is when they get stars in all three categories or something like that. And no, that's not the case. Um, so an ST star is earned either by doing a one-day milk test, like sometimes they have at shows and things like that. Um, so either doing a one-day milk test or if you do the owner sampler, the OS40, but you don't hit those 240-day in milk and eight test requirement, then you could qualify still for an ST star. And AR star is advanced registry, and that can be earned on an OS40 that does meet the 240 day in milk eight test requirement and any other test. So that's the only difference has how it tells you how that star was earned. What kind of test type was that star earned on? Uh, that's a that's been a burning question in my mind since the beginning of time. Since I figured out that the week it earned stars and there was a difference between the stars. So thank you for explaining that to me. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. There's there's so much confusion about that, you know, and it's really unfortunate because the explanation, it's pretty simple. You know, it just tells you how it's earned and that's it. So, um, and, you know, if people want to put different weight on that, then that's totally up to them. Um, a lot of people really want that advanced registry, that AR star. Um, but, you know, both of them have the same milking requirements. Both of them have the same um, level requirements. So it just depends on how it's earned. That's it. So I have a a question just kind of in general of, you know, like we've said, it's pretty amazing to have this as an opportunity to have milk tests and see those records and, you know, be amazed of when you think one dough is kind of a really high producing dough and maybe not as high as a different one that you have in general. Um, how can you use this milk test information to improve, you know, my goats, you know, in general with the herd? How, how can you use this kind of information? Oh, yeah. There's so many ways that you can use this information. And, um, you know, talking about what you just said with, you know, a dough that you thought milked more than another dough, but didn't end up being that way. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, my, my dough is this many days in milk. She's milking this much. How much milk is she going to milk? And we, we can't know that, you know, they have really fancy algorithms and things like that that can help project that. But there's so many things that take to take in cons into consideration. Um, you, if you have a dough that's milking really high, 
but then she can't continue that lactation and she bottoms out really quickly. She might not milk as much as a doe that stays level but consistent and can hold a 305, uh, 305-day lactation. So what I do is I have an Excel tracking document that I made and I put all of my does information in it and I have charts that I've created that I can kind of see how they're comparing to each other based on days in milk and based on calendar dates as well. Calendar dates helps me with my management. Okay, so I can know, all right, on this day I changed my feed and how did that affect my does production after that? You know, and I, I do have this document that I made um, available for free on my website. If anybody would like to download that and play around with that, you can use it to track how the does in your herd are doing. Um, so I use that document, but you can also use it, use this data as a genetic selection tool. So if milk production is something that you're working on, if high components is something that you're working on, you know, a lot of cheesemakers want high protein, high butter fat, things like that, um, then you can select the doughs that are producing those numbers that you want, um, keep those doughs, and, you know, maybe sell the bottom ranking doughs or keep the retain kids out of your top doughs. And this will tell you that. This will tell you how much they're, how much milk they're producing, how many components they're producing, things like that. Um, but it's not just for genetic selection. It's also for helping your management. Um, like we talked about somatic cell counts. You can look for potential mastitis. You can catch it early. Maybe they're still subclinical. Maybe they don't have, you know, the chunky milk or the smelly milk or things like that yet, but they have a high somatic cell count. You can catch that early before there's any real damage to the udder. You can also look for things like fat inversions. Um, so with dairy animals, the the butter fat should always be higher than the protein. If your protein is higher or similar level to your butter fat, that could mean you have some kind of metabolic process going on like rumen acidosis. Um, and that's going to decrease your milk production. It's not healthy for the animal. Um, so that's something that you can then treat and correct for that animal. And the only reason you would catch that is because you're doing milk testing. Um, another number that, or yeah, another value that I look at um, is called the MUN, which is your milk urea nitrogen. Um, and I feel like not a lot of people utilize this, but it should be utilized more. Um, and what this tells you is how much protein is being excreted in the milk. Um, and if that protein's being excreted, it means that the body doesn't need it. So if my MUN is high, that means I'm feeding too much protein. Maybe I'm feeding too much alfalfa, maybe I'm feeding too much grain, but they don't need that much protein and they're just milking it out, they're peeing it out, and that's a waste of money for one. Um, but also you don't want super high nitrogen, um, really high protein can affect the kidneys in the long term and things like that. But um, Protein is expensive. Protein is the most expensive nutrient when you're talking about feed costs. And so if I'm if they're just milking that out, if they're just, you know, excreting that out, then that's a waste of money there too. So I use my MUN numbers to keep track of my feed as well and make feed adjustments according to that. So um, not just genetic selection, but also with your management, it can be really helpful information. Wow, I I feel like I could just, you know, talk about this for hours, you know, this is interesting. It really just makes you think about the impact of, yeah, just your management of your herd and just, you know, what you feed your goats, just how, how much of an impact it can have in so many ways on them. So thank you for that. My mind is blown, right? I, I, I really, I, I'm at a loss for words because I never even imagined determining like, 
protein percentage there and looking at those numbers there and, and looking at overall feed cost. That's just crazy. And I'm like texting my wife and she's really confused right now. Um, but I, I'm just blown. Thank you for that. That's wow. That That's a lot. Thank you. I'll have to take some time and digest this, especially in the editing process. But I am very excited for that there um, to kind of dive into that a little more. I, I do have a I do have a couple more questions though. One one thing I get a lot on people is, well, I I'm a, I'm a summer show person. I show my goats during, you know, I, fr- I fresh them in March on average. I dry them up in September after the show season. There, why do I need to be on milk test? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. And I think you know everybody's herd has different goals, and everyone has different goals for their herd. Some people, you know, that's what they want to do. They want to show, and they that's what they care about. And you know, showing is fun. It's a blast to get out there in the ring and you know be with all your goat friends and you know catch up and things like that. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, so it just depends. And I would say, you know, not everybody needs to do milk testing. If it's not something that's a goal of yours, if, you know, these management things aren't something that you're concerned about, then there's no reason, you know, but I think all data is good data. And I think even if you're working on show fills and things like that, you can still get a lot of good information for your goats. Um, And these are dairy animals, right? They are dairy animals. They're they're bred and their purpose is to milk. Um, So I personally believe that, you know, the milking aspect of it, the milk production aspect of it is important. Um, And even if you're not looking at it for stars and things like that, and you don't care about superior genetics or top 10 and whatnot, then at least for the management numbers, you know, that we just talked about, looking for the somatic cell, looking for those fat inversions, looking at your MUN, your milk urea nitrogen, um, that can give you a lot of management information. Um, And you don't have to do a full 305 days, you know, you can do one test, you can do two tests, you know, and if that gives you enough data just to make sure, you know, you're invert, you don't have inversions, make sure your somatic cells are good, then you know, just do that. You know, so it's everyone has different goals and everybody has different priorities. Um, and if that's if doing a full 305 day lactation isn't something that sounds interesting for you or doable, you know, maybe you're a, a, a parent and you got a bunch of kids running around or a school after school stuff or, you know, you actually want to see your family during the holidays. <laughs> then it makes sense. You know, it's not doable for everybody, but you don't have to do 305 days on a lactation. If you want to just do a couple tests, if you want to just do a March through September, you can absolutely do that. And I still think that you would get super valuable data that could help you with your herd goals that could help you with your management. Um, And then just help, you know, adding to the breed breed data that we have here, you know, and whenever anybody does milk testing, it helps the breed as a whole to understand better where we're at as a breed. So um, yeah, just whatever your goals are, you can make milk testing work for you if you want it to. So there's no minimum or maximum amount of tests we need, only if you want those kind of awards there, correct? Correct. Yeah, there's no minimum. There's no maximum. Um, There's plenty of people that do extended lactations. Um, I know a herd that, um, you know, was really affected by wildfires. And instead of kidding out, they just continued milking for two years, Um, two, 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 three years, I think they did. Um, And they were still testing, I think. So, you know, you can do extended lactations, you could do, you know, just one or two tests, if that's all that you want to do. The only 
thing that has a minimum is that OS 40 if you want to qualify for those AR stars. Other than that, no other test has a minimum or a maximum. Gotcha. That makes that makes sense on that because I, I, you know, we everyone is busy these days, and, um, and I, nobody really says, "Oh yeah, I'm going to get goats and I'm going to milk them for 305 days a year, and I'm going to have two months off, and, and that two months off, I'm going to sleep." <laughs> I tell you, when, as soon as Missouri State Fair is done, all of us are just like, "It's about time to dry off." <laughs> It's a lot of work. And what's, I think a few of us try to have lives outside of dairy goats, at least maybe, I don't know, but um, you know, it is a lot of work and milking twice a day, every day is a commitment. Um, And if you drop down to once a day milking, or if that's what you do is just once a day milking, you can still milk test on once a day milking. Um, So there's ways that you can mark that on your sheet and they would take that into consideration with their calculations. So, um, you know, it's, it's doable if you're milking anyways, It only takes a couple more minutes per dough, right? So you just have to weigh the milk and pour it into vials and ship it out afterwards. So when you're actually milking, you know, it's just the weighing and the pouring into vials that takes a couple minutes per dough. But if you're already milking, you're already doing like 95% of the work. So why not just weigh it and send it out? You know, it's, it's not a whole lot of extra work and you get so much good information from that data. So I have one more question. I'm sure I'll come up with a million more later too. Um, But as far as the shipping standpoint of it, because I know we shipped off our own milk samples as well, but then there's that always that time of, oh, I forgot to ship that off. So it's been sitting here for about a week or so. Is it still good enough to ship? Um, So is there a, a time restraint or limit of how long can it be sitting and waiting before it gets shipped off? So I don't know if there's an exact day or an exact time frame, but the sooner you can get it to the lab, the more accurate it's going to be. Um, what happens as the milk is sitting there, even if it's sitting, you know, in the vial with the preservative in your fridge, what happens over time is that butterfat is going to start breaking down. And so you might show that you have an inversion or a lower butterfat that you actually do have because the sample was sitting there. So, you know, I, I would use your best judgment and see if it's been in the fridge for two weeks, it might be worth it to just do a retest. Um, but, you know, if you just want to be done with it, and you just want to get your test in, then, you know, it, it depends on what you want to do, but it might not be as accurate. Um, so I always try to do my milk tests either on like a Sunday or a Monday. Um, this way I can ship them out in the beginning of the week. Um, if it's remotely warm, you want to make sure to include an ice pack or two as well in the box. Um, so the milk doesn't curdle and spoil before it gets to your lab. Um, and this is also why I like to recommend that people use labs that are closer to them to help with that shipping time as well. Um, so my samples, I ship out my samples on a Monday. They usually arrive at my lab on a Tuesday. I get my results by Wednesday or Thursday. So um, I'm a very impatient person. <laughs> so once I send out my samples, I want to know what my results are. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm really glad that my lab and my, my processing center turned things around pretty quickly. Um, it helps my anxiety. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, I, I do have a couple more questions here. Um, SG, I guess uh, the mathematical SG calculation or, or the lottery, as some people call it, um, what component does kind of, in, in your mind, uh, milk test kind of lay into the mathematical component of SG? 
Oh, that's a great question. And there's some good handouts out there that show how these kind of numbers are calculated. Um, It's complicated. They use very complicated math. Um, I probably learned how to do it in calculus way back when, but it's been a minute. Um, But very, very um, complicated algorithms and math numbers, um, but they take into consideration um, LA scores and milk production, but they also look at the how the herd is doing and how you know related animals are doing, and that's how you get those PTI numbers, right? Those um, uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the acronym right now, but the PTIs and ETAs you can see them on the left hand side of the screen on your Adca Genetics, and um, they're they're kind of an indication for how your animal is doing according to the breed. Um, and it's breed specific. So um, that those are a lot of different things that are taken into consideration when calculating those. And then the animals that have, I think it's the top 15% of those numbers, those are the ones that are awarded the superior genetics or the SG. So um, it's, it's very complicated math. Uh, if people are interested in knowing that, I know um, there's a handout out there that breaks that down more um, accurately, but still the math is, the math is intense. <laughs> they do fancy things <laughs> there to get some of these numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you on that. My last kind of my last question here, and we can talk about this for hours because I find you are a cornucopia of wisdom as it pertains to milk test. And I'm so, I'm so thankful that I was stalking the DHI IA page and I found your your name. Um, so, um, breed controversial question here. Recently, the Nigerian breed Adga raised the standard for the milk test star. Do you think that was a good thing or a bad thing for the breed? I think it was a great thing for the breed. Um, I personally think that the numbers were too easy to reach. Um, and I know ADGA in the memo that they submitted with that um, change, they included the percentages of animals that were reaching those numbers. And I think it was like over 90% of goats on, of Nigerians on milk test were reaching that butterfat number. And to me, with these stars and these awards and things like that, I want them to be meaningful and I want them to to tell me how that animal is doing, right? So if 95 plus, I don't know if that's the exact number, but as an example, if 95 plus percent of Nigerians are reaching this number, that seems like too easy of a number for, to reach for me, you know? Um, and I know that the stars aren't like the superior genetics or, you know, elite animals and things like that, but it's still, you know, if so many animals are reaching that, then yeah, let's make it a little harder. Let's, you know, let's try to push those numbers and let's see what we can do as a breed. And, you know, if we keep pushing these limits and pushing these numbers, then we're going to see improvement as a whole as people strive for those numbers, you know. So um, I'm all for the increase. I think now it's going to be either in the high 70s or low 80 percent of Nigerians are expected to reach those numbers, which is still a great number. You know, that's still very attainable for a lot of people. Um, A lot of people really want those stars. but I think it's good as a breed that we continue to strive to improve our genetics and improve our production. Yeah. I was, I was just kind of curious because I, I didn't really see a lot of comment on that on Facebook. I, I assumed it was a good thing. The breed wanted to push forward, but I just kind of wanted some, some thought on that there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, do you have anything else for our guest Priya today? Oh, I'm, I'm sure I have a million other things, uh, but that I just can't think of at the moment right now, but 
I, I can't thank you enough, Priya, for joining us and with all this information. And I think this is going to be a fantastic episode for everybody to listen and learn. And, you know, hopefully new people start doing some milk testing. Absolutely. I hope so too. And um, I do have a step-by-step guide on my website as well for people that are interested in getting started, but don't quite know what to do or kind of confused. I broke it down into steps like, okay, first thing, do this. Second thing, do that, you know, and I hope that that makes it more attainable for people and less intimidating. Um, So that step-by-step guide, as well as the Excel tracking document um, to look at your dose production are both available on my website as well. Uh, Priya, where can the listeners find information on that, find information about um, the heritage breeds you're working with, your Nigerian dwarfs, and some of that milk test information? Yeah, absolutely. So you can definitely follow us on Facebook. Um, We're on Instagram as well, but Cascade Valley Heritage Farm on Facebook um, is where we're most active. And then you can find these guides and this information as well as more information about my herd um, and the other heritage breeds that we work with on my website, which is www.cvhfarm.com. So that's Cascade Valley Heritage Farm, but cvhfarm.com. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. Elizabeth, where can our listeners find more information about Goat Gab and where can they find the podcast at? What, what, what locations? Shoot, just anywhere that you can find a, um, any pl- where that plays podcasts, Apple. Yeah, you can find it on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Google Podcasts, anywhere where you hear podcasts there on that front. Um, as always, listeners, we appreciate your feedback. If you like us, um, tell us what we're doing well. If you don't, tell us what we're doing bad. How can we improve and better serve you as an audience? Thank you so much and have a great week, everybody.